Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Listeners of this show will know we try our best here at Crack Rackets to shine a light on all aspects of the tennis world. That means not just the professional level events, the Grand Slams, the Masters, the Olympics we see take place on the ATP and WTA Tour levels. No, we talk challengers here on this show. We talk college tennis here on this show. And every so often, often we talk about the action happening in the junior tennis world as well and if you're talking junior tennis there is no better person to bring on the show to speak about it with than the guest we have here today we are joined by the greatest of all time the founder of the zoo tennis blog and of course the reason i am podcasting here on these shows here today colette lewis joining us to preview the upcoming girls and boys 18s national championships in both san diego and Kalamazoo, respectively, of course. Last year, there were no girls and boys 18s national championships. That means we didn't get to see an American junior represented in the main draw of the U.S. Open. And of course, that opportunity to not only end your junior career on the highest of high notes, but to have the opportunity to represent your family, represent junior American tennis in the U.S. Open is an opportunity so many players have cherished over the years. And as fans, we have enjoyed seeing players compete in that atmosphere. So of course, to get that event event back on the calendar this season means the world not only to us tennis fans but of course to the countless juniors across the country who are competing for the opportunity to win and earn a U.S. Open main draw wild card at the end of their junior careers but of course on today's show Colette and I talk about the fields we will see in San Diego and Kalamazoo we talk about the top contenders we believe are most likely to capture that U.S. Open wild card we also offer our thoughts on the big pictures of where things stand right now in both American men's and women's tennis entering this 2020 decades. Will this be a successful decade for American tennis? Will we see a step forward after obviously the steps back historically we saw in the 2000s, in the 2010s for American men's tennis in particular? It is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, I have to quickly remind all of you that the reason we're able to do these podcasts day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends over at Turn of Tennis. You all know the deal. It's the best grip in the business. The only one that gets tackier when you sweat. It's performance in hot and humid conditions, unmatched, and of course, and it comes in an iconic trademarked blue color as well. If you would like to join the Turn of Tennis family today, you can contact them by emailing sales at uniquesports.com or calling 800-554-3707 
when you do, you mentioned Crack Racket sent you. They'll hook you up with discounted college pricing, hook you up with some free samples, treat you like family. So again, to join the turn of family today, contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With all of that said, we are joined by the GOAT, Colette Lewis, to preview the upcoming San Diego and Kalamazoo Girls and Boys 18s National Championships. With that in mind, Westoff, roll those intro credits. Let's get to today's show. Hey, Cracked fans. Before we get back to today's episode, I just want to let all of you listeners know that all of the content we produce here at CR is made possible due to the support we get from our friends over at Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming equipment in the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right, folks. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. And in a twist of poetic justice, I think our friends at Manscaped know the grass court season is upon us here in the tennis world. In honor of that grass court season, they just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. You can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their most sensitive region of their body with this exclusive offer for you. You can get 20% off and free world Worldwide shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. That's right. They let us stick with the tennis theme. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. And look, a little personal testimonial. I think anyone who's met me in two seconds will be like, eyebrows, thick, legs, very hairy. Guess what? It looks that way everywhere, folks. And I can tell you firsthand, Manscaped gets the job done. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com and make shaving time your favorite time. Manscaped.com. The promo code is NEWBALLSPLEASE. Joining us on the podcast once again today, the returning champion of all returning champions here on our Cracked Racket shows. You, of course, know her as the greatest of all time. I know her as my friend Colette Lewis. Colette, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be back. It is great to have you back, and with perfect timing as well as I look on the clock, it is July 30th. We are less than a week away. From the kickoff of the girls' and boys' 18s national championships in both Kalamazoo and San Diego, respectively. Of course, last year was the first year since what? I want to say 1776. I know George (laughs) Washington was like, we can't play Kalamazoo first year of the American Revolution. We'll play it year two. But last year, there was no Kalamazoo. There was no San Diego. I know they wanted to play the event in Orlando. That was their intention, and they had tried to do that. But if you remember, you know, July, August of last year, that was really peak of the pandemic where restrictions were being put in place. We didn't know what was possible, what wasn't possible. Thankfully, a year later, we have the return of, let's be honest, the Super Bowl of the American te- Junior Tennis calendar. These are the two events that all of these players train all year for. They're the events they build up those rankings for. Why are you playing that random 18-section tournament if you're number three in the country? Well, it's because you want to guarantee your spot 
in the 18th national championship as of course it not only provides a platform for so many of these athletes to be noticed by their potential college coaches down the road but of course for the best of the best they've got the opportunity to win a main draw a uh, wild card into the u.s open of course you look historically over the years i think the women's side is probably more prominent than the men's i mean in the this is why i call you the goat i grew up reading why am i so invested in tennis because you look in this decade in particular cc bellis san diego champion sonia kennan San Diego champion. The list, I mean, and we saw those players, I mean, obviously Bellis has had injuries, but we saw those players use that result to catapult themselves into the top 100. The moment we saw them compete at the U.S. Open, you knew, okay, these two belong. Ditto with a Jack Sock, who I think it's him and Donald Young are the only two players to go back-to-back in the 21st century with the boys' 18 singles title. Now, it was a little bit different for D.Y., but Again, following your work, watching that Jack Sock final, it felt like it was a coronation for him to get to that second final, and then he ultimately played Mitchell Frank. See, I did read you religiously, Colette. I remember the (laughs) breakdown. I remember all of it. He crushes Mitchell Frank, and Mitchell was outstanding at the time as well. And then, you know, it was just pretty clear in that moment, okay— Jack Sock belongs on the Pro Tour, of course. And again, just this is the history lesson for all of you listeners. Why does Kalamazoo and San Diego matter? Well, for me, and this is when I was like, I'm pursuing tennis full-time. 2014, 2015, 2016 Kalamazoo's. If you're an American tennis fan, that three-year stretch, it meant something to you. Because, of course, 2014, you have Stefan Kozlov making the Australian Open Junior Final. You then have Noah Rubin beating him in the Wimbledon Junior Final. Noah goes on to win uh, Kalamazoo that year, gets himself a spot in the main draw the next year. And it's crazy to think it's already been more than five years. But Francis Tiafo, Stefan Kozlov play maybe the best match in Kalamazoo final history, a five-set thriller. Of course, the next year, it's Michael Moe beating Vassil Kirkov, and, you know, it kind of puts a bow on that generation of American tennis players. Now, since then, you've had Brooksby win a title. You've had Svita win a title. The point being, you see the best of the best come through these events. No one's skipping Kalamazoo, and we'll see players in this year's field that we've seen at the collegiate ranks, at the pro ranks, come back and play this event. It matters most, right? Like this is the one that matters. Yeah, I, I, I I'm sure I have a bias from from just <laughs> living here and and everything else. But it it is that main draw wild card that brings everyone back. And you know, I will go to my death saying that that has to stay just just to make sure that everyone who can will come back. Um, there's always a few this year. We don't have Toby Kodat, who could have played and is not. Um, he's long since um, gotten out of the juniors. I wasn't sure about uh, Martin Dom if if he would come back because he hasn't played a junior event in well over a year either. So, I but in general they're coming back for that wild card, and and the same goes for the girls. I I don't uh, really think that there's any other incentive. They're very nice tournaments. It's a nice way to say goodbye to the juniors and that kind of thing, but it's still that chance. And with all the money, all the increases now in what you can make um, just by <clears throat> making the first round of a of a Grand Slam, you really do have another incentive as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If for a player, if you are 17, 18 years old, and I'm trying to think of the most prominent example because it really hasn't happened of late where 
someone was considering going to college. They win Kalamazoo. They win San Diego. They say win around at the U.S. Open, and then they're like, no, I'm turning pro instead. I'm trying to think of the closest ex- examples. Like, Jack Sock can say he sniffed around with college tennis. He was always going pro. Like, everyone who knew Jack knew that was going to happen. On the women's side, again, the most prominent examples – They've typically turned pro after winning, and they're usually 15, 16. Like, CeCe yeah, Bell has flirted well, with Cece, Stanford, but it, yeah. was a, it was a flirt more than anything else, right? Like, you, and, but, there was no you know, way she was going. Uh, Cannon kind of held out much longer than I thought she would as well. Mm-hmm. She didn't turn pro after she won that that mm-hmm. um, a, until the year after. She was still um, thinking of going to Miami, mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, it is kind of interesting, though, to see those that, that think that, wow, no, I can't do this yet. And then those who think, well, this is a great opportunity to, to put some money, you know, in the bank. So mm-hmm. now, I remember after Bjorn Fertangelo won 2011 Junior French Open going into that Kalamazoo. Wow, we're really we're opening up the books here. Sorry, it, <laughs> it was inevitable. I miss you. Uh, and so, um, but I remember the pressure I just felt like he had entering that event because he was the number one seed, and it was just like, hey, man, you're. He was like, I am going to go pro after he seriously flirted. I think it was Ohio State was where he was looking closest, right, and right. you know, it was well. Now I've won a Junior Slam, and I just beat a guy by the name of Dominic Team in that Junior Slam. Dominic Team had won the Orange Bowl, Eddie Her, et cetera, et cetera, and it's just like I should probably go pro. A U.S. Open wild card would be very helpful in helping me do that and I think we saw that pressure get to him I want to say he lost quarterfinals that year something like that and so before that yeah and just like and I think he lost to Jared Hiltzik I want to say or something I remember something around you know that's about the time frame um and just so again you do see how do you perform at this tournament can it matter does it matter certainly you'll feel the pressure a guy like Martin Dom is not coming to Kalamazoo to finish second you know he is coming there to get that U.S. Open wild card, give him the sort of catapult he needs into a pro career. Ditto for someone like Katrina Scott, right, on the women's side, who she is coming to Kalamazoo to get that U.S. Open wild card. Well, San Diego. Oh, San Diego, excuse me. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was inevitable. And by the way, the most important question I'm going to ask you on this podcast, the strawberries and cream. Honestly, I like strawberries. Blueberries and cream. It's overrated. I love Kalamazoo. I love ice cream. Like, I'd be like, you know what? Can I get blueberries and cream? Hold the blueberries. And they're like, so you just want ice cream? And I was like, yes, that's that would be what I like. But I'm just like, I just don't think it's that good. It is good. You it's- were wrong. <laughs> wrong. Uh, it's just blueberry. I don't think blueberries taste good with ice cream. Well... I think strawberries are better with ice cream. Yeah. I agree with that. But it's still great. It's still awesome. Yeah. No, it's great ice cream. Like I said, I'm like, you know what? I don't even need the fruit. Like, who are we kidding here? I'm like, look, <laughs> right. do, do I look like – and they're like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, double dose, please. I was like, do you have any Oreos you can throw in there? That's what I'm looking for. Uh, but, no, of course, again, one of the fun things for so many fans, and I actually think this is one of the coolest parts in particular. I can't speak to San Diego because I've never been. I have been to Kalamazoo. The community shows up. Kalamazoo is worthy of an event like this because it is ingrained in that community. And people know this time of year, we have the opportunity to see the best juniors play in the world. And of course, given everything that's happened in the past year at both Kalamazoo and San Diego, I've noticed it at our local events. I know what's going to happen at these big events. 
people are going to be so happy to be back with one another, to be back competing at this stage. And it's not just the players. It's not just the parents, the coaches who are going to be there as well, getting to fraternize and do all the things you usually do when you're part of this tennis ecosystem. I know there's a ton of excitement surrounding these two events. So, of course, you know, we're 10 minutes in. But what we are going to be doing on this podcast today is previewing these two uh, 18s national championships because, of course, if you're competing for a wild card into the U.S. Open, that's significant. And here at Cracked Rackets, we are determined to provide these young Americans the platform they need because as American tennis fans, we should be excited about where we're heading. And again, this will be the last tangent, I suppose, before we get into straight draw previews. When you look at where we're at in American tennis, and I think surrounding these two events is a good place to reflect right now, let's start on the women's side. I think the case makes it pretty obvious for itself that the 2020s is going to be a very good decade to American women's tennis. You start with the most notable example, Coco Goff, who has ascended into the top 25 this year solidly. And you look at the advanced metrics, she's, I think, number nine in overall ELO rating, number 10 in 2021 specific ELO rating. She's a top 30 player now in terms of how frequently she's holding serve, how frequently she's breaking serve, one of only 15 players who can say that. If all of the metrics, all of the results are pointing to her being a top 15 player at age 17, I think we can all agree, future very, very bright for Coco Goff. And then, of course, you've got an actual Grand Slam champion in Sonia Kennan. You've got so many other young players, uh, whether it's, you know, from the Anissa Mopas, the, uh, as we mentioned, the CC Bellises of the world, all the players we're going to see competing here in San Diego this next week. There are so many talents. And then, of course, you throw in Jennifer Brady, Pagula, Keys, Stevens, who may have already entered their primes, but we'll see that prime play out in this decade. You've got the tail ends of Serena and Venus. I'm feeling really good about American tennis uh, on the women's side heading into the 2020s. I'm curious how you're feeling, Colette. Yeah, I I agree. And I think part of it um, is will be what Coco Goff has done just to show people that show her peers that it can be done. In, in other words, that it's not this, it may in fact be a Himalaya to climb, but they don't have to look at it as Mount Everest. They know her, they played her, they can hang with her. Um, they really do feel that they can match what she's doing, or at least, you know, if not at, the, at her age, then, you know, in two, three, four years. So I, I do think a lot of just the interest um, that she's generated as well will be an attraction to, to making sure that, um, you know, girls who are really on the fence about what sport they want to do or, or what, you know, if they really want to pursue something, they can see, you know, all of the advantages of tennis and of, you know, getting really good at something um, like she has. So I think her influence is going to be huge over the next five years. I I, I really, really do. Mm-hmm. And there were names... I'm embarrassed to say I forgot on that list because there are so many, whether it's Ann Lee, who's been 
spectacular on the pro circuit over the last 52 weeks. Claire Liu, that big jump from Claire Liu, who was one of the most accomplished juniors of the 2010s in American women's tennis, and honestly, in broader just you know uh girls tennis in that 2010s in general across nations she was that good and now she's up into the top 110 and hovering around that top 100 of course former san diego champion katie volley that's still 19 years old she's into the top 200 you've got 2021 ncaa champion emma navarro who you know feels like all of her pro success happens in charleston but like so (laughs) yeah it's not her fault um and so she's obviously someone we've all circled even someone like maria mateus uh who is having a good week in charleston this week as well it's like she was super super talented and you watch her strike a ball and you're like oh yeah i see it whitney osigwe takes three seconds on the right day to be like whoa who like who is this i need to see more Haley baptiste i can go uh if i didn't mention Haley, sandy middleman was going to text me and be like why didn't you mention Haley?" um and so you know i got to do that for him but there are so many names so many different players right now in the women's uh in the women's game who seem poised to at the very least be top 100 players and be you know even beyond that in the mix over the course of the decade and then of course again like madison keys is what 26 I want to say, like, she is, you know, I'm looking at the under 25 rankings right now in the WTA. She just misses that list. It's like, she is not very old. Sloan Stevens, 27, like 28, still not that old, especially in this version of the way the sport is played now. I I, I think the women are particularly well poised uh, for success. And, you know, again, there's, there's a ton of talent in the pipelines as well. And that gets us into the San Diego preview here. When you look up and down at this event, and again, uh, just a reminder that these national championships draw the best in American women's tennis. So it's not just the players playing the junior circuit. You are going to get former college players. You are going to get people who are playing more pro events to come back because they do have that opportunity for the pro wild card. And with all of that in mind, let's get into the list here. Have they made the seats yet for San Diego? Have they no, said- I, the seating is, is ongoing probably this weekend and early next week. So the seats and the draws aren't aren't out yet. That that's a few days away. So we can't really do a draw preview of anything. But but we we know who's going to be playing. Um, you know, minus any late dropouts. So I, I think, you know, we probably have a, a pretty good chance to to talk about all the contenders. So there will be surprises. I mean, um, just like women's tennis and, and <laughs> I'm men's tennis too now, but especially after yesterday in, in uh, Tokyo, there, there are still surprises to be had. So um, I, I definitely think that, that we'll see some in, in the next couple of weeks. I'm not defending him the person. I'm defending my take about him, the tennis player. I once on Ben Rothenberg's podcast said of all the young players, Alex Virov's the only one who has the talent to win 10 out of 12 majors. And I didn't say he would win 10 out of 12. I said he's just the guy who's got the talent to do it. And Ben never lets me forget that take. Well, to you, Ben, I say... Um, but uh, no, I I agree with you. It's it's tough to do a direct draw preview. That said, as you know, we do know the names that are going to be in the mix, the names that we should be keeping our eye out for. So let's start there. They they call you. 
and they say, hey, Colette, it's tournament director here in San Diego. Our formula malfunctioned and, you know, technology problems, they're the bane of our existence nowadays. So we're going to go old school. We're going to seat it by hand. And there's no one we value more than your judgment because who knows San Diego better than (laughs) Colette Lewis? So Colette. Your number one seed. I'm, for the record, you listeners can't see this. I'm doing the the phone motion with my fingers right now, <laughs> as if I am on the fake phone. I can't help it. Um, but who's your number one seed? How to get to San Diego? Uh, probably Yepafanova. Um, okay. She's she didn't have the best summer. I, I but she just won a tournament on those same courts this spring. Uh, facing many, though not all, of the same players that that will be contending for for San Diego, um, you know she she made the final two years ago of the U.S. Open. Um, I I would say that I'm not sure if she will end up being the number one seed, but um, I would think that that she would certainly being you know the top ranked um, well, a girl in in the ITF and that sort of thing. Um, but, but they may, you know, they may go with other players. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to say, but she, she's the one that has probably both a USTA ranking and an ITF ranking that, that would sort of recommend her as, as number one. Mm -hmm. I have four names, well, five names, but I think four that are obvious ones, Epifanova, uh, Robin Montgomery, that's another big one. She right. was, did she win Orange Bowl? Was that what it was? Junior Orange Bowl, I want to say, yes. or Eddie Her, one of the two. Uh, yeah, Orange Bowl, yeah. 2019. Yeah. yeah, so Junior Orange Bowl champion, uh, yeah, 16 years old, but has been amongst the top group of American women juniors over these past few years. Would have been one of the favorites, certainly, last year had they played this event. Right. I would throw, as we mentioned, Katrina Scott, who. We saw a compete. She played. I know. Was it Western Southern? She played last year. I, I, I like. I don't remember because they were both at New York. I just know she played one of those events. Uh, she she played the U.S. Open and yeah. and uh, won around. So. Yeah, and so we know what she's capable of, and I think she's got the highest pro ranking of anyone in this event. You look for her, Katrina Scott. Currently, oh, excuse me, Montgomery's the highest at three sixty three. Katrina Scott three seventy one. You know, Coco Golf could play this event. She yeah. is still like she'd be like. I don't know if I'm going to get into the main draw. I really need that wild card, okay? Um, <laughs> and so that would be delightful. Um, but those are your two with the highest ranking. I think the other name you have to throw out there immediately is Ashlyn Kruger, just because all the success she has had, at various levels of the junior world and on the pro circuit as well over these last 24 months. But and here's the sizzly take for you, Colette. My number one seed. And it's a hot take. I fully admit to that. I'm going Kylie Collins, the rising sophomore out of the University of Texas. And I know that's a bold choice. And I know year after year we see some college players go back. Like, I thought freshman year Henrik Wiersholm was going to make a run at Kalamazoo. Was that 2015 or 14, whatever that summer was? And he did fine. But, you know, didn't make the sort of huge push uh, that I expected. Of course, that was a loaded Kalamazoo. But... Having watched Kylie Collins all season long, having seen the pro success, not only that she's having, but her teammates Shavatapan and Stearns are having this summer as well, and then the firepower Kylie Collins plays with, I just think it's that perfect nexus of confidence, 
plus a degree of physicality that the majority of this field's just not ready for yet. I'm in on the Kylie Collins. I also just I'm in on the Collins experience. I just like I watch her play and I'm like, what is happening here? I need I need to watch more of this. No, she she's so much fun to watch. She's so um emotional. Yeah. Um I, I heard somebody describe her, maybe it was on the tennis channel broadcast, she's very <laughs> controlled and, and um poised. And I'm like, um poised maybe, but I mean she she will let you know what she's feeling. And mm-hmm. that's that's very fun and as competitive as they come. And I yeah, she's definitely um, one of the dark horses, if not, um, you know, not one of the favorites. But the problem with with her, and we'll get to um, her counterpart and the boys later, is that there there is nothing other than the fact that she played great on the national NCAA winning team that that's going to put her in the conversation for the top seeding and so if she runs into somebody as a 17 seed or a, a you know 9 through 16 seed um you know that's that's playing great then you know that that's definitely going to be a problem and and you know that's one of the interesting things about this is that there are always players that come back and um, like when Govananda came back, he mm-hmm. did ha- actually have, uh, he, because he was still eligible for ITF events in 2019, he had a, a, an excellent ITF junior ranking. But when you're already out of that, then you don't even have that to fall back on. And so they don't know where to put you. And mm-hmm. the only thing that has changed, I would say, in the past five years is that now UTR can give you an idea. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I have not looked up um, all the UTRs of, of all the girls 18s. I've done it for the boys, but um, I, I'm certain that, you know, she'll be up there. But again, just be, because she did not play number one or two, she's not going to be have the same sort of, um, you know, comps that other people are going to have. So it makes it really difficult. Um, I, I guess what I'm just doing is giving a apology to the the inevitable um, complaints that are going to come like, why wasn't so-and-so seated higher is because, especially for, for someone like her, it's really difficult to tell, um, you know, where they should be. Mm-hmm. And remember, send all of those complaints at Zoo Tennis. That's where you find it, <laughs> at Zoo Tennis for your seating complaints. It was all Colette. Um, no, that, that's totally fair point. And, again, you look up and down this field, it, it's the depth of this field as much as anything. And, you know, again, Yepafanova uh, is certainly a name you'd circle. Though, you know, she it, it's interesting. It, tough for her on the pro circuit this year uh you know hasn't had the best results and yet you know when she's played the junior she has had so much success and so uh it'll be interesting to see how that translates another player i've noticed a lot of yonix love amongst these juniors nowadays i'm seeing a lot of that blue yonix racket being used by so many of these players and i always like kalamazoo in san diego as a gauge to just see like what is the the hottest racket right now in american tennis i feel like those are the little things you can find out Right, right. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, some other names that I that I would mention would be uh, the Easter Bowl champion, Liv yep. Hopti, who um, has not played since, as far as I know, but has um, 
I mean, she has got a game that that's going to give anybody trouble. And again, if she she don't because of her Easter Bowl title, she does have some some um, USTA you know ranking and that sort of thing. But it's she's going to be underseated because of, of the fact that she hasn't played a lot. So I I think that that might be interesting. Um, Gabby Price, who, who's coming in as a, as a wild card, uh-huh. um, she she's been playing pro events um, exclusively, and um, you know she's she's a really good player. That's that's going to give people trouble. Um, Clervy Gunaway, um, you know she's she's playing well. She made the semis of Milan. Uh-huh. Um, she and she played well when she played in the in the Easter Bowl. So I I think. You know, she could do some damage as well. There's the one person that I wish was here that isn't mm-hmm. is Connie Ma. Oh, so <laughs> I you beat me to the name. I was looking through the draw and I don't see her. And that's obviously a, a Finova, her, our fellow Stanford recruit. And that was when I had circled in. Yeah. It, it was going to bother me, by the way. Dennis Novikov was the name that I was looking for. He went to UCLA for a season. He comes back, wins Kalamazoo, right? Yes. That was that. Was, I was like, I was like, I know someone did. I was like, where is it, Alex? Find it, find it, find it. And I found it. Um, but to your point about Connie Ma, I agree because I was looking through and I like, you know, Savannah Brodus is another name I would circle. Yeah. She's had a ton of success at the ITF level, obviously. You know, I'm always a fan of dynasties. Katja Weersholm, that's another name you circle. She's had some yeah. success at the ITF level. Do I think she's going to win the event? Probably not. But round of 16, quarterfinals, absolutely can be in the mix. But no, where? so no Connie Ma. That was interesting to me. Yeah, I was surprised too. And I, I it should have <clears throat> occurred to me that she may not be doing it because even though she rarely, rarely plays, she didn't um, play either the IOSC or the mm-hmm. Easter Bowl this year either. So she must just be ready, um, you know, to go to school. I It's just, she's so good. And so she's always played an extremely limited schedule. Mm-hmm. And still when she plays, wins and that's that's amazing Mm -hmm. um it and so it it is really disappointing that that she's not going to be there she and Katrina and Robin of course won the um junior Billie Jean King Cup in in 2019 and it would have been nice to see her kind of farewell to uh junior tennis I was still hoping till the last minute that she might get a wild ask for a wild card but apparently you know just ready to move on, which is, which is fine. But for those of us who, you know, really like her game and, and the way she plays, it's kind of disappointing. Another player who's like, I could go live in Palo Alto or I can go play San Diego. And she's probably like, <laughs> it's Palo Alto time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to rock and roll, but I, it's also going to be so fun. That Stanford team after let's be clear down year by right. maybe the worst year since the, again, revolution, like <laughs> more of eighteen twelve for that Stanford women's tennis team, and so they will be bouncing back next year. Yes. You can, yeah, that pen lock that take in. Um, no, I mean again, there are a lot of fun names, and for so many of these players who we haven't mentioned still to play in this event, it is one of the highlights of your career. It is one of the highlights of just things you get to do. Uh, that just the opportunity to compete uh, for these titles, the opportunity uh, to play uh, again against the best competition in the country and so with all that said yeah let's give predictions i mean again they're huge fields so many different things happen 
you know the names at the top. You know the names, and these are names who have been around. You know, I'm waiting for the late Coco Golf wild card, but assuming that doesn't happen, <laughs> I think I'm just trying. I'm trying to buy you time and offer my take first. I think I'm gonna go. Ooh, I'm gonna go Collins. I'm gonna roll with it. I'm sticking yeah. with the take. It's it's a very high variance take, right? She could lose two and two round two, where it's just like, nope, I'm missing long today, and unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that's just how it is. But like when you're playing Yepafanova or any of these players who just grind, she's got the weapons to disrupt all of that, and that that is what you know attracts me to her game in this field more than anything else. But still, I mean Montgomery, Scott, they've got weapons as well. I I think it's. If if it's not Collins, I would go Katrina Scott. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. No, I'm not good at this. I've never. I mean, though, though somebody will will confirm that I did pick Novikov that yeah. year, but um, that that it was only when someone like held a gun to my head and said, "You have." To. <laughs> You have to pick somebody. So that's what you're doing right now, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I brought out the phone thing earlier. Here's the gun. Um, yeah. Uh, but, I, I, you know, my surest take, I don't know if she's even playing doubles. Let me look real quick. Is Kylie Collins playing doubles? I'm actually more ah. sure she's going to win the doubles than she is the singles. It's like I could play with her. And we're gonna win. Like it doesn't matter. Like she is that explosive, and her and Lulu's son were so excellent down the home stretch. And she's yeah. gonna be whoever she plays with. She's gonna be like, well, Lulu does it like this. So like, do you mind just you know? <laughs> but like, it's cool. But just like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That the doubles is gonna be really interesting because yeah, I fun. do. I do think anybody who's be, played college tennis ha, has a huge advantage there. Mm-hmm. And and she obviously just didn't play college tennis. She made the NCAA final. So <laughs> yeah. I do think that she's absolutely the favorite for that one. And I don't have any idea who she's going to be playing with, but uh, lucky them. Might be Savannah Brodus. It might be Savannah Brodus. And that would be an amazing combo because Savannah, as you know, won the Wimbledon Mm -hmm. title in 2019. So yeah, (laughs) that could be good because they've played together before. So um We'll think about that. Um, yeah. Gosh, you know, it, it's tough. I, I probably, and this is one of those where, you, where you've never seen someone lose. So yeah. you're going to say, okay, I'm going with Liv Havdi because I've yeah. never seen her lose. Yes. And it's like, okay, you know. Yeah, no, but again, it, it, she's she's not going to be seated, I don't think, is nearly where she should be. So, so she could get. Kylie Collins, you know, in the round of 16 or something, and that could be a real battle. So, um, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> that that's tough. But I and I do want to mention Reese Brantmeyer, who oh, is all, the, the yeah. 16th um, champion from 2019 coming back. I mean, she she has a fantastic game that it, on a good day she can beat absolutely anybody so um i you know she's definitely going to be a contender in there as well i think so uh she comes up against somebody not having their best day and she's playing well and you know she's she's gonna win Mm -hmm. now i i feel really stupid which is nothing new um but that i didn't mention like ashlyn krueger more i just i feel like sometimes you talk about someone who you've never seen lose like i know round of 16 at junior wimbledon and I think she lost at Roehampton to Fruvertova, which is in three sets, which is like, right. okay, that's like a that's a good loss. Um, 
she's she's really good (laughs) she is she she is and she's you know in your country club of course um (laughs) (laughs) absolutely in your country club so i can see why you would really but she's one that can have terrible day exactly that's what i'm saying if she gives me five good matches but then the sixth is bad it's a bad take and that's the thing but like yeah. as we saw at the Orange Bowl, right? Her best tennis is as good as anyone is in the field. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that. There's mm-hmm. absolutely no question about that. Mm-hmm. No relation to Mitchell, right? They're just both happy to be Krugers None. out there in the world. Okay. <laughs> that, that are we're both coached by Dave Licker. It's just yeah. amazing. I mean, <laughs> how is that possible? Soulmates. They found each other. It's, it happens in tennis all of the time. <laughs> um, but so that is your women's field. And again, San Diego should be super super fun event let's switch gears now talk about the men and as we did for the women i kind of want to start with a broad uh picture of where we are at in american men's tennis because you know there were some firsts this time uh here this year first time since a long time ago that we didn't have an american in the top 30 of the atp singles rankings Mm -hmm. isner fell out opelka fell out fritz fell out you know john isner lost his his stay at the top as the highest ranked American man in the ATP singles rankings as well this season and while he had lost it for like a week here and two weeks there over the course of the past decade this feels like the first time he's lost it and he may not get it back Uh, and you look at the guys who are currently at the top of American men's tennis it's uh you know the (laughs) the groomsman party Fritz Opelka Paul Tiafo, all of those guys I'd say they've established themselves at a minimum top 75 floor. They should be top 75 guys as long as they're healthy for the rest of their career. Now, how much higher than that? Who's the best of the group? Still unclear. Do we have a Grand Slam champion in that group as promising as they were as juniors? Again, you probably lean no when you're answering that question. But what's been super exciting for American tennis fans? The rise of the next Gen 2.0. You've obviously had Sebastian Corda, round of 16 at a French Open, ATP title. He comes from a family dynasty. All Cordas do is have success. Feels like Sebastian's on a pathway to success. You obviously have Jensen Brooksby, who also doesn't lose anymore. What is he, 34-6 and six or 35-6 and six now here this season? A couple of challenger titles, ATP final under his belt. Ditto for Brandon Nakashima, who makes his first ATP final last week in Los Cabos, beats Rayonich this week to make the quarterfinals in Atlanta as well. There are seven guys, it feels like, who you can, I'm not going to say hard pen because it does feel like Tommy Riley, they've dealt with a lot of injuries over the course of their career, but it does feel like we're going to have seven guys with top 50 floors. And I don't know how high the ceilings are, but to have seven guys in the top 50 that's progress for American tennis, right? And I think that's what we should expect from them this decade. Yeah. What I'll argue with you, though, is Good. that the USTA does not consider that progress. Okay. They think that you have to be contending for Grand Slams. Mm-hmm. So they, I don't think that, they're, that they care if there's – 46 out of the top 50 <laughs> Americans if they never make a Grand Slam semifinal. Mm-hmm. And I, it's hard to kind of argue with that. Another thing that, that I'm interested, I, you can't take for granted top 100 players yeah. because we there were times when that was even not very good. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't want to denigrate that that um, 1997-98 birth year group, mm-hmm. but the fact that Nakashima and Brooksby and Korda have, if not surpassed them, are are, are at least um, moving in that direction is is an interesting thing because all we heard during from those 9798s is that they were going to push themselves um, each other to greater and greater heights and the other those other three guys have really not been in a competition with well brooksby and nakashima actually have been but mm-hmm. you know they kind of went their different ways and then brooksby was injured for so long mm-hmm. that you know their meetings in the last two years have been you know non-existent so i i do think that that maybe that whole shtick that oh yeah um you have to have a whole bunch of people uh, you know like the sampras agassi courier thing mm-hmm. that that's just based on like supposition and narrative and anecdotal and evidence that, yeah yeah that that in, in a, a sense you're saying no that's probably not actually mm-hmm. have anything to do with it. it it might be a lot more granular than that so um just wanted to throw that out there i've been thinking that for a while because you know, we've mentioned, we haven't mentioned, you know, well, you did briefly Kozlov and, and Mo, but um, those guys have not made the top 100. Uh-huh. Well, Mo did, you know, for yeah, a he minute. He had a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and and those were guys that were also, you know, always in the mix. And it's, as you said, it's way too early to write anybody off in, in this, mm-hmm. this time of, um, professional tennis 23 is like you know infancy but to see these younger guys the guys that are 19 20 21 you know starting to to you know have results that that are frankly better than than some of the ones that um that we've gotten from that that earlier generation ha- has been very very interesting from my perspective no that's the generation i majored in in college and my parents were like really that's what we sent you to michigan for and it's like it's true i mean that group it's look you get 10 bites of the apple out of that that cohort, the original, I call them the next geners. You know, Brooksby Nakashima, their next gen 2.0 of that next gen American crew. Fritz, 2015 Junior U.S. Open champion. I think we say that's a success. Is he a Grand Slam champion? No, but he's a top 50 guy. And like, I think the USTA would look at Taylor Fritz and be like, "That's what we want our floor to be." It's like the Taylor Fritz yeah. of the world. And I think they would say that's fine. Like, we're happy with the Fritz career. Opelka, Junior Wimbledon champ. Injuries have been such a big factor, but again, we're still on the pathway with him. Tommy Paul was that junior French Open champ that year. He may be quietly the most disappointing because you're just like, oh, that's not true. We'll get to the others. But there are times with Tommy you're like, it should be working. Like it, Because it, it, it looks – it's still – I mean it helps that he's very handsome. But it always looks good for Tommy Paul. You're like, this game makes sense. I see his athleticism. I see his skill set fitting in modern men's tennis. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it's – Still a little streaky, et cetera, et cetera. With Francis, you know, again, he was the first to burst through. I actually think he's the one who's made the biggest strides in his career. Like, his forehand is no longer the liability it was at at the start of his pro career. And obviously, he's made coaching changes, et cetera. He's the guy who's made a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Uh, I think those four, again, they've solidified themselves. But on the flip side, as you mentioned, injuries for Michael Moe. 
whenever he's had momentum, it feels like they've slowed him down. Whatever happened to Jared Donaldson? You know, so many different injuries, but he was the first guy, top 15, and felt like, okay, we're rocking and rolling, and, you know, Ernesto Escobedo, ditto. So many injuries for him, but he's starting to slowly work his way back, and it's like he's a 1996er. He turns 25 this year. There's still time for him to get back in the top 100, and then I don't want to cry on today's podcast, so I'm not going to get into Stefan Kozlov, but it's been encouraging to see him at the Challengers of late, certainly. And, you know, again, that's the best 12-year-old in history. And so who, <laughs> who knows uh, where we go from there. But, you know, all of those different sides. And you've still got, you know, a Blumberg in the mix. He's now through with college. I think people think he's as good at, you know, if I ask, if you ask, I, I guess right now, 2021, quick tangent. Who are you more confident in moving forward, Blumberg or Kozlov? That you paused it all is indicative, That just for the record, because it speaks to the fact if I ask you that question 40 years ago, it's Kozlov hands down. Like, we, we would all agree. Like oh, his, yeah. And it's no longer that case. And so, again, yeah. I don't. I, it, that's as much about Kozlov as it is Will's rise, but that's another one in the mix. And J.J. Wolf, obviously, in the mix yeah. as well. Watching Sam do what he's done at Florida over the past year and see the success he's had on the pro circuit. And obviously a guy like Ulysses Blanche, a little bit different path, but he you watch his power tennis and you're just like, yep, if – Sure, give me 40 minutes of that, and I'm absolutely in on it. Uh, the Zane Khans of the world, the Sfidas of the world, and this is how we can get into this Kalamazoo. It just, I feel like they're, again, as we saw with the next gen, you're going to get about 10 to 12 bites at the apple. Half for the next gen, I'd say about half of them you're, you're feeling good about, right? If you're the USA, you're like, all right, we had 12 guys. Five of them we feel good about. Four of them we feel better about. Now, again, is there a Grand Slam champion in the mix? Maybe not. But I, I, I do feel like I, I feel like the 2020s will be progressed because, as you mentioned, after the late 2000s, 2010s, where you're like, oh, my God, Bobby Gineppery made the third round. Let's go. Like, I can't do that anymore, Colette. I need some fourth <laughs> rounds. I need some quarterfinals. And I yeah. think in this group of seven, we're going to get that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair. Yeah, I agree. It's not Grand Slam champions, but again, no more third-round celebrations. Done with that. We're raising our standards, and of course, that gets us into this Kalamazoo, and of course, the player who wins this will have the opportunity to compete in the U.S. Open main draw. It's worth noting. uh, I I think the funniest story, and I saw someone tweet this, and I was like, that's a good point, that Jensen Brooksby wins Kalamazoo, could have defended his title the next year, but it's like, no, I'm going to go play qualies. And then he gets through qualies and ends up winning a main draw match. And you're like, oh, okay, sure, do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't imagine we're going to see Zach Spida do that this year. He's in the field. He's your defending champion. He's the only guy I think – I think he's got the highest UTR in the field as yeah. well. I expect to see him as the number one seed is the point I am trying to make. Yeah, I, I, a defending champion, I yeah, you know, is, is pretty much guaranteed that. I it's think. an easy argument to make. I feel like yeah. they could have unseated Jack Sock and he would be like, yeah, that's fine. Like when he was <laughs> defending his title or like, I mean, Donald Young, the difference is Donald Young 2008 might have been like the best junior of the 2010s. And so just how dominant he was everywhere. And so he was the unequivocal number one seed. I guess why I ask it like that. Is Fida the prohibitive favorite in your mind? Because I look at some of the other names in the field, and I just I don't feel like the gap is that big compared to some defending champions in the past. I don't think he's a prohibitive favorite, uh, Svita. 
by any means just because he hasn't played very much. We don't have a lot of data points in in the last few months or um, in the last two years, really. So I I do think that it's possible that he could lose to you know a random anybody in the round of 16 or something like that. Um, but I, you know, a defending champion usually can get themselves back into the semifinals. It's just that they run up against somebody who's been playing very well and is very confident and, and is really not afraid of them. And so they can, you know, they're able to do it, to pull off the, the win. Um, so I, I don't think he's a prohibitive favorite, but I don't think there's any way that he wouldn't be the number one seed. Mm-hmm. Talk about another guy who came back from college and made the final, Brandon Nakashima, who did it in 2019, or excuse me, not the final, quarterfinals before losing to Zach Svita. But it felt like Nakashima, or maybe it was semifinals, but I know semifinals. Nakashima. Yeah, he lost, though, to Svita, if memory serves me correctly. And yes, that he felt did. like, and that was 2019, and that felt like it was supposed to be a coronation for Brandon, that he was going to come after a great freshman season at Virginia, win this Kalamazoo, get that main draw, turn pro, and Svita was like, nah, I'm not ready for that. And of course, look, I'm a big Svita man fan. I am all in on, like, I I see the consistency. I see just his ability to win points. His ability, the way he competes is super, super special, and particularly at this level, uh, that's what matters most. And so, I don't think he's a prohibitive number one seed. I do think he is the number one seed, though, when I look at this draw. I think his pro experience, just having battled at the challenger level as frequently as he has, playing tons of ITF. You're right, he hasn't had a lot of junior data points, but he has been playing matches. Now, again, to yeah. only so much success, but you look right now in the rankings and in terms of the players eligible uh, for this year's field. Again, you got to be 18 years old. You can be 18 in six months, I suppose. And I had a coach, my former coach, give me this whole lecture, and he he calls me frisky. He'd be like, frisky, let me just tell you. And he goes, like, back in my day, the cutoff was just April or September 1st or whatever. And he's like, and if you were born after, you could play this. And if you are born before, you couldn't, whatever. And I was like, I, I was like, why are you telling me this? I don't get it. And he's like, because nowadays the birthdays are so off. And I was like, all right, whatever, that's fine. But you look right now, again, amongst uh, the age-eligible players, Martin Dom, the highest-ranked player in the field in terms of professionally, he's at 698, uh, excuse me, 688 in the live rankings. Toby Kodot, who, as you mentioned, not playing, he's 702, the Spider-Man at 710. You look at some of the other, I think those are your only under-18 Americans uh, currently ranked in the top 1,000 of the ATP rankings. And so, again, if it's not Svida, it's probably Martin Dom as your second favorite. I, I imagine he'll probably be a two-seed or right around that mix as well. And you look for Dom, who's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, has been one of the guys in that group for a while, big-serving lefty. I'm curious what you think of his game. I'm curious if he is a guy on your short list of contenders to win this title. Yeah, I definitely think he he is. Um, I love his game. I always have. It's not one you see every day. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes to the net. He is comfortable playing that style. In other words, it's not something I've never seen, and I've been watching him play since he's 11 years old. I've never seen him hesitate and I've never seen people have to force him to go to the net. Now it might be because his father was a doubles player and that was always part of the DNA. I'm not sure, 
But um, the fact that it's not something that he's had to learn, that it's sort of been part of his, um, just the way he plays since forever, I think it's been really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I love his game. You know, he won the six, he's the youngest 16s champion in Kalamazoo history. He was 14 when he won the 16s. He's um, a great player and he can definitely win this tournament for sure. I, I just don't think he's got the confidence that that he might wish he had coming in. A lot of good wins and a lot of positive things that have happened. I, I think losing the first round, I believe, in the last two um, pro circuit events has has proven to be, you know, less than ideal for him. So I don't know. But if he likes the, the way the courts are playing, um, if he can impose his game, if he serves well, of course, his first serve is hugely important in his game. Yeah, he can win this. I was having this conversation in Champaign because I went there to watch his first round match and the coach can remain unnamed. But I was saying I honestly like Martin Dom serve better than I like Opelka serve right now. And I'm not saying long term because, you know, seven feet helps. You have a bigger margin right. even than Dom has. But Dom is six seven and it's like lefty. He's just comfortable hitting his spots and he can hit a bunch of different spots right now already. And just there's a decisiveness to him where if he gets the first forehand big, he's going to go after it and just he knows when to move forward. He's a good volleyer, not not a great volleyer, but a good volleyer who most importantly knows where to go and what to do when there. And like that's half right. the battle when you're at the net and I do think if it's a binary system can you volley can you not volley let's say Taylor Fritz is the zero he cannot volley Martin (laughs) Dom is the one he can volley and so the backhand sails on him there's no denying that and there are little things he does you know there are little things he does that'll need to just be cleaned up but he moves really well for someone his size and I'm kind of surprised at how filled out his frame is Colette considering he's only you know 17 years old and it's like you know he's not six seven 150 pounds he's he's gonna be one of those yeah he's probably north of 200 in his career which like the fact that any tennis player can play professionally over 200 pounds I think that's the most impressive athletic (laughs) achievement just period but like he's gonna be one of those guys because he's big guy yeah and he's always been big and I'm sure, I don't think he's grown or, you know, he may have filled out a little bit in the last couple of years, but I don't think he's gotten any taller. So I, I think, you know, you're right. He's he's very solid. He's very strong. And yet, you know, he moves very well. So, you know, he's got great upside. Um, I'm, you know, you're always thinking that somebody is going to be the next, you know, so-and-so or so-and-so, but I, you know, I just love to watch his game. So I, I hope he continues to, to, you know, stay out there and start winning more matches so that he can play more matches, because I think that's really important for anyone's development. He's not quite Yuri Vesely 2.0. It's Yuri Vesely 1.3 or like something like that, where it's <laughs> like, you know, like top 50. I, I see it. The weapons are there for sure. And, you know, again, a body comparison. If you took... Martin Redlicky's thickness 
and gave him Michael Redlicky's fluidity, you'd have the athleticism of Martin Dom. Like, <laughs> again, that's that's a reference for you and maybe a few of the hey, listeners yeah. out there. Yeah. But right, like, kind of, you kind of yeah. see it. Like, there's a, yeah, again, this is, this is what I do. Um, but no, <laughs> those are the two big names, of course. There are uh, some other names, certainly, to keep an eye on. Uh, I mean... Has there been a less expected run to a junior Wimbledon title than Samir Banerjee's run uh, at this 2021 Wimbledon? Uh, the Columbia commit, who's what, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, now? He's a beanpole. Like he, I, I mean, I, yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Well, yeah. I, no, he's probably, he's not that tall. He, yeah, he's 6'4"? Six, six, yeah, 3 or 4 even? Yeah, well, he yeah. was serving like he was 6'7", six, 6'. Six, just hitting bombs at junior Wimbledon. And, you yeah. know, he's in the field here. I like <laughs> I'm going to quack out the name of the coach I'm about to say. I keep expecting to send the jet over and be like, so you coming, Samir? Like, we're, we're getting you to decommit, right? <laughs> um, but I'm just, like, I'm shocked. I, like, I don't even know what to make of him. I, like, I'm still processing the Junior Wimbledon run. Yeah, I, I, I guess we're all still a little bit shocked about that. I, he's probably come to terms with it, especially when he got that opportunity to play in Atlanta in the qualifying and, and you know, comported himself well. I mean, it was five and four against, you know, Ofter, who's like 150 or something. Mm-hmm. And so he was right there. He didn't convert any break points and he had nine or 11 mm-hmm. or something. So, um, you know, that was kind of the tale of the match. But I, I think he'll come in pretty confident. Um, it's, but yeah, it was a real surprise. You know, when Noah Rubin won, he was a qualifier, but it was in no way that kind of a surprise. Yeah. Um, because everybody knew, you know, Noah had been great and for whatever reason, you know, just wasn't um, just outside, you know, playing yeah. other mat- matches or injury or whatever was outside of the top one, top 50 in ITF. And so he had to qualify, but um yeah, that that was truly, truly surprising. I had seen Samir play, you know, both tournaments in and he made the final of the Southern Cal Open, the the grade one in San Diego this spring. And he was playing well, but he just got, as he said, smoked <laughs> by Ethan Quinn in the yeah. final. And so there was really no no expectation that um you know, he would win more than a couple matches at Wimbledon. I I would think that, when, you know, making the quarters would have been beyond his wildest dreams, actually. And so, yeah, and then and to be playing on court one, you know, mm-hmm. two matches in a row and to come through in those situations. Um, yeah, that's got to do a lot for his confidence. So, yeah, he's definitely going to be right up there um, as far as, and he's played well at Kalamazoo. He's had a great junior career. I mean, there's no like, oh, he came out of nowhere. No, he hasn't. He's been a great, great player since he's been four, 13, 14 years old. So he knows how to how to play on big stages, obviously, now, and has always at Easter Bowl, at Kalamazoo, at you know, Wimbledon now. I mean, he's he's comfortable there. So yeah, I and to point out, Martin Dom lost in the semis of Wimbledon, and Samir Banerjee won. So mm-hmm. that's you know they're not the same player. It's not the same year, um, but still th- that that tells you a lot about you know what what he can do and what he 
is confident he can do, which is, you know, at this level, I guess at any tennis level, that's really important. Yeah. And, you know, again, a couple of quick tangents, because whenever I have you here, I have to bring these things up. 2011 Pan American Championships in Tulsa, Noah Rubin. I could tell you, not anymore, but when I was like 12, 13, I could tell you every shot he hit in the video you posted. And like, <laughs> I, I still remember it's the gold liquid medal with the head racket that he was using and Kruger ends up beating him in that match. And I'm pretty sure Taylor Townsend won the girls in that mm-hmm. match as well. Right. And like, cause I remember I just was like, I need to see this Kruger guy. I need to see this Ruben guy. Like I keep seeing their names. What do they actually play like? And I'm pretty sure that year in Tulsa, Mitchell Frank won as well, and I was a huge Mitchell Frank fan. Still am. I, yeah. I don't know why I say was. Still am. Um, <laughs> and there's a pot. Anyways, um, and I'm pretty sure all of those videos. And then 2012, Ruben wins the Pan Am, right? He ends up beating, survey says, Hugo DeFeo, I want to say. Like top Ooh. of the – or something. Because I think he wins the next year or something. And that video – and then I want to say 2012 Easter Bowl – or not Easter Bowl. Uh, is it ISC, whatever it's called? The, the International Spring Championship in right. – Car- I'm pretty sure Kruger wins that and he yeah. beats Kozlov in the final. And I had never seen Stefan Kozlov play after reading his name a billion times. But there's just no video because he never made the finals. And, you know, you only posted videos from the championship and final. And so I never got right. to see him. And I was like, finally a Kozlov video. And I just remember being so excited and watching it. Like 17 times consecutive and being like, oh, so like this is what he does. Like, oh, like oh, so the slice. Oh, and like just again, watching it over and over and over again. And so, yes, to your point, Noah Rubin was on the outside and like he was a name in the stratosphere. I don't think Banerjee was quite on that tier, like, coming no. in. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. But Banerjee has been on this – he's been around – you know, the, the Nelson Vick of the world, um, the Emmett Egger of the world. You, you see them around, and, you know, you know uh, those names and it, that he made the big run. I suppose things just happened to break perfectly for him. But, you know, again, those are the three most notable names, Svida, Dom, Banerjee. Again, as we wrap this show, um, because I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but, uh, you know, who – any other names, any other dark horse candidates? Obviously, a name we have not yet discussed that we said we were going to get to, University of Florida's Ben Shelton. I heard him compared – and this coach already called me out for saying this on a podcast, but I'll say it again. Uh, Someone compared him to Denis Shapovalov at the NCAA tournament. And in the moment, I didn't call him out as I did as I should have, but I would call that coach out. I've subsequently <laughs> texted him that, yes, I thought that was a ludicrous take. I mean, I'll say this. He's the Dennis Shapovalov of five singles players. Like, that that's a fair <laughs> comparison. Uh, but there is no denying Ben Shelton's playing some really good ball this summer. Makes his first professional quarterfinal in Champaign this week. And, you know— right. I won't say who, but I hear rumors of what's going down at the USTA. And God willing, Colette, one of these years, they'll send us down there to cover the shadow wildcard events that happen because there is a whole economy of wildcard events being played at Lake Nona. And it's determining who gets the wildcards into challengers, who gets the qualifying wildcards here. And they're really good matches. We're talking the Kingsleys, McNally's, Kova's of the world, the Stefan Dostinich's of the world, all of these different guys down there playing for the right for these invaluable wild cards. Um, Unfortunately, I suppose we don't get to see that, but I will say talking to some people on the grounds there, the the name I've heard over and over again is the guy who's just having the summer of summers and beating up on people in practice is Ben Shelton, that they're just saying Ben's playing super well. 
Yeah, and I do think that um, maybe it's recency bias and everything, but he's certainly um, a, a major contender. I mean, if he comes in just to to uh, you know, having made the semis or I don't know. I mean, we have people come in every year that not every year, but often that have made the quarters of, of the, of the, you know, ITF, but generally uh, the fields have been a little bit stronger than they are this year. So mm -hmm. I, I think he, you know, falls right to the top of the list of contenders, which I'm not, <laughs> I, you know, I, I wouldn't have even said that after the NCAAs. That would have just like, yeah, it's team events. He played really great. Um, you know, there's so much going on there with his dad and with Florida never having done it and all that stuff. But he did kind of get a late start. So, you know, I he's nothing like Sebastian Corda, but there is a little bit of that. The family's not in a rush. There's no hurry to like make sure that he makes every benchmark of every, you know, stupid pathway that they have. And, and, you know, he's just getting better and better and being able to translate that. I mean, he has a lot of gifts. I mean, he's left-handed, huge. Um, and he's not afraid to come forward. He's not afraid to play. He's confident. And so, yeah, he's he's definitely a contender now. I may not have been quite as high on him until this week. So, you know, again, it might just be recency bias. But, you know, he's he's playing great right now, and that matters. No, absolutely. I, I do apologize. I now have your YouTube channel up on my screen. And I have Nico. Uh, what, how do you, I don't want to butcher? His name. Is it Madra Galejo? I want to say yeah. that's how you said it. Um, yeah. See, I still got it. Um, <laughs> and I'm just looking at it. I'm like, I have watched this video. It's from 12 years ago. 5.2 thousand views. I might be like the point two. Like I'm trying. I'm like looking. At it, I'm just and, and like there's a video below it of Marcos Giron and his hair is just everywhere. And I'm just like, I'm just like, this is amazing. Meanwhile, I think Tennis Sandgren actually looks younger now. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it's just like, it's silly. Just how, or like, oh, I remember watching this Brooke Austin video and being like, so that's what she plays like. I'm uh, just having a lot of, a lot of moments here. Um, but no, I, to your point, it does feel, I don't want to say, I don't want to say a downfield because that's not, that's not fair to the current crop of players playing, but just the highs of that 2014 to, I mean, even through Kipson versus Wolf, like you could talk yeah. yourself into that match. That one got super, super fun by the end. And yeah. I'm trying to think, who won in 2018? Brooksby. Brooksby won in 2018. And yeah. like we saw what he's gone on to do. And just, you know, again, it feels like we finally closed the book on that chapter. It's like even from. You know, I, I suppose Sfido knocking off Nakashima. There was a thread that connected Noah Rubin to Brandon Nakashima because even when Rubin, you know, Brandon's a lot younger than Noah, but people had heard of Brandon and he was a guy who, oh, yeah. like, they went from the 97s were the top of the junior rankings and then immediately it was a guy like Brandon who was in that right. next wave of players. Absolutely. That connective thread, it feels like, is broken coming into this event. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I I think that the, the the Pat McEnroe era is over. Like those guys were the McEnroe era. This is the the uh, Blackman era. 
Yes, I, I agree with that. Um, and there aren't, uh, yeah, I, it's just not, I mean, the, the U.S. has has a good group of, of, of guys that are juniors or rising seniors now. The rising senior class, I don't think, has been particularly good. But then, then again, we may see, see some of them that, you know, with COVID, it's just so hard to tell. They haven't had a chance to play much. They can't really show what they can do. Um, you know, we saw a little bit of that in San Diego earlier this spring, but it, it's really tough. I mean, and, you know, Kuzahara, Bruno made the uh, quarters at Wimbledon and and uh, Ozan Kolak, who, you know, is, is a local guy. And so he'll have, have some support here and, uh, from the crowd and that sort of thing. He's a very, very good player. And then we haven't mentioned the, the finalist, um, Victor Leloff, who <laughs> has a wonderful game that when he puts it together, you know, can, as he p proved, beating the number one junior in the world and then, you know, the favorite going in in, in Pennington Jones. You know, he can play with anybody. And of course, Ethan Quinn might be getting mm -hmm. back on track as well, um, back on hard courts. He did not have a good summer at all on clay and, and grass, but, you know, he he's he was outstanding in San Diego. And if, if the courts here play anywhere like they did there, he's going to be he's going to be a tough, tough out. So um, there's a lot of really good players. It's it's just. You know, the, the question, I, when when you're looking at I, ITF rankings, they're good. When you're looking at ATP rankings compared to past years, they're just not good. I mean, and a lot of that's just because there haven't been opportunities. Those kids can't get in. They can't make, um, you know, the, the fields or, you know, they're not winning if they do get, you know, in on a junior exempt or something. But you know, we there are years when we had top 500 play, lots of top a ATP top 500s, and you know we don't have anybody even close to that right now. Mm -hmm. No, I'm again. I see the name Alexios Halabian, and I've now reached that portion of the YouTube channel, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my goodness, and I'm just like, let's go. I'm like, I could still tell you all about his game. Oh, you want me to tell you about the Easter Bowl final he played against Mackie McDonald, nor no Cal versus SoCal? Like, I can do it. Uh, it's like this is the useless pieces of information in my brain. But um, no, I mean, it is so interesting because there wasn't a Kalamazoo last year, and it does right. feel like that there are a lot of players who are going to enjoy having that opportunity again this year. And you mentioned a lot of the names that it's just like. No one has firmly established themselves right now at the top of the American junior scene. And even as good as Fida is, as good as Dom is, Banerjee, Quinn, all these different names, as you mentioned, it just feels like it's it's a given week, right? It, it could be a Shelton yeah, in this week. And, and so – or how about a guy – I'm glad you mentioned Ozone. And by the way, if he – and I don't think he's going to do it. But I know he's a. I know he grew up big state fan from that area, Okamos. That's – you're part of the Michigan State culture – wouldn't that be some sort of coup for Harry and Gene? And it's just like the problem is he's going to get – I mean I know some of the places he's looking. And if you're asking me betting man, I say he ends up TCU. Um, but man would state like him because if you get him, I mean they've got some nice four, five, sixes. But it's just like we need a one. We need a one. And he would be a one. And so yeah. 
that that's an interesting. I'll always love a good home crowd. I, I'll never forget the crowds Oosterbond and Crocker got, who were the guys oh, yeah. in my age, and they always had a uh, good showing in uh, Kalamazoo. But yeah, no, a bunch of fun talent. Is Aiden Kim in the draws? He's still too young. No, he is. He's, he's in, in the and he's playing 18s. Yes, that's my super sleeper. Uh, it's like, like, like again, because he's from my area. Alex Kim's my age. Shout out to me. Beat him. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, he's always super talented and the nicest guy in the world. And so uh, – and Aiden Kim has been the top of his recruiting class since he was nine. And yeah. so, you know, def- definitely will be interesting to see him compete. But with all that said, again, we've talked a lot of good stuff here today. Any final thoughts? I You think you're going to escape without a prediction. You're wrong. Uh, so don't worry. I was going to throw that question in. I just don't know. Like, you look at the list of back-to-back champions, and has Zach Sfida, is he that accomplished that you're like, yep, he belongs on this list unequivocally? Like, I don't know. I think this one's a toss-up, Clyde. I think we're getting a new champion this year. Okay. I'm going to go, ooh, Quinn's a good pick. Quinn is like the pick where if you're trying to be smart and go different, you're picking Quinn. If you're trying to be obvious, you're going Dom or Svida or you'll take Banerjee. Ugh, man. I mean, Dom competed so well and he lost 6-6. Six and six And it was like he did nothing wrong in the match and he still lost at 6-6. Six and six. <laughs> That just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like Sam Duvall and I'm hoping he gives me access in Cleveland. So I'm going to pick – no. Um, uh, I'll go Dom. I'm going to lock it in. Give me Martin Dom. I'll take Ben Chum. Oh, I, I think I forgot about him as I was making the pick. <laughs> Duh. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. Um, yeah. And with all that said, again, I'll take Shelton doubles. Ditto. Because, like, again, give me the college yeah. players in doubles more than anything else, especially lefty firepower. All the recipe. You like it a lot. But more than anything else, it should be a super fun stretch of time in the American junior scene. And, of course, if you miss any of the action, Kalamazoo, San Diego, you can read recaps each and every day on the Zoo Tennis blog. Uh, of course, Glad. I imagine you're sticking around in Kalamazoo. You're going to enjoy yourself the event. But, uh you know, what else do we have coming down the pipelines? Uh, well, for sure, I'm going to College Park at the end of August for the grade one that's there. Shout so out we'll... Tim Van Richeven. That's another video I remember. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. he's back now, too. Yeah. He's back playing well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'll be there, which I'm looking forward to because, of course, that was canceled also last year. Um, and, and that's a good chance to see some of the players that are coming in for the U.S. Open. Uh, don't know yet whether I'm going to be at the U.S. Open or not, but I hope to hear soon on that. So, um, but yeah, Kalamazoo is definitely going to be the focus uh, for the next two weeks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We really missed it last year. Mm-hmm. No, it's so great for the community. It's so great for tennis fans everywhere. If you have the opportunity, Kalamazoo, San Diego, travel to them. Trust me, you will be treated to some exceptional tennis. But, of course, again, if you miss out on any of the coverage, tennisrecruiting.com. You'll see the Zoo Tennis blog. You're going to click on it once, and I can speak from experience. You're going to then gonna click on it every day from therein. So, of course, Colette, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. I really need to rewatch Zverev Djokovic, but I can tell you right now, from now until noon— which is when we're recording, I will be watching videos 
from back in the day. I've already clicked out three. I've got Mitchell Frank, 2009. I've got him lined up for, uh, what is that? That's Pan Am. I think he was the finalist. Or is that nine? No, that might be 11 uh, where he's Pan Am. I've got Shabazz at the ITA Indoor 09 because you know I'm gravitating towards my Virginia players. And then, of course, for my last one, I may throw in some Laura Valverdu. 2009 NCAA. It's just to, to mix things up because I talked to her a little bit now. Oh, Brooke Bolander. Michael Zoo at the grass courts. I can go the Michigan route. I, my afternoon is ruined in all of the right ways. So, of course, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today, Colette. And, of course, be safe, be healthy. We will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Alex. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Colette Lewis. A huge thank you to her, as always, for taking the time to chat. If you're going to talk about anything happening in the junior realm, you cannot have that conversation without including Colette. So, of course, listeners of this podcast will likely already be reading her Zoo Tennis blog, but if you're not, go do so. It's the best resource in tennis. I promise you'll read it once. You'll start reading it every single day. But again, huge thank you to her for taking the time to chat. Of course, we've had so many fantastic guests on the Great Shot podcast of late. If you have missed any of the conversations, you can find them all on our website, crackrackets.com. David Kane, Gary Nathan, Jeff Sackman, Ben Rothenberg, Lisa Stone, Colette, David Gertler, Jamie McDonald, uh, Damian Kust, all of those guests. Just Again, we're trying to cover each and every aspect of the tennis world so if you've missed out on any of it you can find it all on the website crackrackets.com of course like rate subscribe review to this show the mini break our cracked interviews podcast and everything we're doing here at cr if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max fleeger and daniel westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out a shout out as well to our friends over at turn of tennis remember contact sales at unique sports.com or call 800-554-3707 today but with all of that said for the goat colette lewis for our super producers fleetner and westoff our friends over at turn of tennis and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say hey great shot and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.